0: Y'all ready for this? Cause it's the Animation Podcast Now! Animation Podcast Now! Animation Podcast Now! It's time for the Animation Podcast! Hello everybody and welcome to the Animation Podcast. As if you didn't hear me singing it before. A weekly podcast about all things animation brought to you by Phil Book. My name is Matt Brunet, but some of you may know me as Animat from my YouTube channel, Electric Dragon 505, home of web series that are all about animation, including Animation Look Back and Animat's Reviews. Now, if this is your first time here in the Animation Podcast, Well strap yourselves in because we got a whole bunch of crazy stories for you here today. Even some of the biggest ones that we got this year so far. So get ready for a whole series of craziness where I will be talking about the Deadpool animated series and how it's actually not gonna happen. But then we're gonna go and lighten up the mood where we will be talking about the possibility that Tintin 2 could actually be a thing. Then afterwards, we will be talking about the animated short that will be appearing before The Incredibles 2. Then after that, we will be talking about Gravity Falls and something in which I never thought it would happen by final freaking Lee. It looks like it will happen. And then finally, we will end things off with a really heavy Animats Pick of the Week. Now, if you want to check out more episodes of the Animation Podcast, then all you have to do is go to filmbook, which is film by searching The Animation Podcast. You can also email us at podcast at with the animation podcast in the subject line. Okay, so for our first story that we have right over here, we're going to be discussing about something in which it sounded a little too good to be true. Now, this had a lot of anticipation going on because this is the ultimate partnership between FX, Marvel... And the Glover Brothers, specifically with Stephen Glover and Donald Glover, both of which were set to be executive producers, writers, and showrunners of this series. This animated series, even. And it was all supposed to be about Deadpool. And not necessarily connected with the movie starring Ryan Reynolds, but more its own thing. Pretty much its own entity coming onto effects with a Deadpool Animated series now this had a lot of hype this had a lot of people excited because you got some really prominent people Working on a beloved character like Deadpool But sadly like I said before some things sound way too good to be true and it ain't happening Apparently what just happened is that the Glover brothers have decided to split with FX and Marvel And apparently, FX brought out a statement that says, Due to creative differences, FX, Donald Glover, Stephen Glover, and Marvel Television have agreed to part ways on Marvel's Deadpool animated series. FX will no longer be involved with the project. FX and Marvel are... Oh, FX and Marvel have an ongoing relationship through our partnership on Legion, which will continue. So, the big thing that's going on in here is that... The Deadpool animated series is pretty much cancelled, but FX is still going to be working with Marvel in order to create Legion. And for a moment, that was the only thing that we have heard about it. Until a few days later on Twitter, where Donald Glover decided to express what even happened with the Deadpool animated series, where he posted a whole bunch of tweets That showed a script, or basically a mock script, of what would have been the finale of this Deadpool animated series. Now, nowadays, the tweets have pretty much all been deleted. But, as you guys may know, tweets and whatever you post on the internet, uh, I I guess uh, as a meme said it best, one does not simply delete something on the internet. Because once you put it there, it's going to be there forever. And thankfully, I do have a memory of what happened in that script. I actually did take the time to go and read what was the thing. And basically, what Donald Glover did is that he posted an entire script that's just uh, 15 pages long. And it was a story about Deadpool suddenly finding himself in Africa, where his main mission was was to go and save the last male northern white rhino in the world, who was Sudan. And this is actually a real rhino who sadly passed away last week. And the whole mission is just, yeah, he's got to go save him. And apparently he was paid by bitcoins. And that was the big running gag in there where Deadpool was paid in bitcoins. But then he saw in terms of the stocks of bitcoins, like it could be like, make, it it would either make him super rich or it's practically worthless. I think Deadpool actually said it best in the script that he would go from being Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean to Johnny Depp from Pirates of the Caribbean, The Ride. And from there, of course, being Deadpool, he would go and mention a lot of pop culture references and even talk about, How is it that his show never came to be? And he would go into several different factors. Uh, One of them would be regarding race, if it's not appealing for white people, considering that it does have a prominent black crew and uh, a prominent prominent African-American crew working on Deadpool, not just with the Glover brothers, but with other people in terms of the writing team and all that kind of stuff. And also it could be for marketing purposes because in a way Marvel would just want to try to sell toys with Deadpool and maybe making it a little too adult won't really work out that way that they can't really market Deadpool in the veins of how they would market the Avengers and all that kind of stuff. However, what's actually very interesting to note Uh, One of the articles that I have here, uh, this one being in the Hollywood Reporter, they mention how there is a possibility that this whole Deadpool animated series might not really be dead. Uh, It actually states here, it's unclear if Marvel Television will shop the series elsewhere or if it could wind up on Disney's plan direct-to-consumer subscription service. So the big thing right over here is that it was supposed to be It's own thing. It was ready to be like this major Deadpool animated series and have really prominent people like the people that brought you Atlanta. Yes, I know my phone is ringing. Don't mind that. I'm sure it's going to stop at one point. Uh, But anyways, (laughs) yeah, I guess you could consider an outtake now put into this. Uh, Fudge, Would you shut up, phone? I'm in the middle of a podcast here. Okay, thank you all right as i was saying this deadpool series it had some very prominent people like you have the glover brothers the same people that brought you atlanta another really popular series and you know all the hype was pretty much all set for this but sadly this never really did happen and for now we only got a bit of hints from donald glover himself of what would happen to the deadpool series and why it never really came to be so overall that's kind of the position that we are in right now is that this Deadpool series is gone and some articles are stating that there could be a chance that it's not completely dead maybe if it does get repicked up it might not get uh you know it might not be with the Glover brothers again but maybe the idea of a Deadpool animated series might not be fully dead And I mean, in terms of that, I'm sure that would be possible, but not in the form that we've had right over here, not in the form of like a more adult-oriented animated series that would have Donald and Stephen Glover working on the project. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. And I mean, this is not the first time that stuff like this would actually happen, where you would have... Uh, some very prominent uh, some very prominent people in the entertainment business working on this animated project that is related to uh, an iconic character. And it sounds like a great idea and everybody's hyped up for it. And sadly, it would just never happen. I'm sure these things happen all the time. There are some prominent examples out there and I'm sure there are plenty more that hasn't gone to the public just yet. But this one right over here, yeah, it does suck because it sounds, you know, like, it it really does sound like a a great idea. It's, you know, this does have a lot of potential and especially with the popularity of Deadpool really surging back up ever since 2016 with that movie, it, like, honestly, the popularity of Deadpool really did go to the mainstream and you know seeing other people trying out Deadpool outside of Ryan Reynolds it would be great to see you know outside of the comics and outside of that and I know there are some plenty of other examples I think uh, Deadpool did actually appear in Ultimate Spider-Man I believe but you know having a Deadpool animated series I I could see the strong possibilities that could actually go in there but Nowadays, though, it's hard to really see it as something that could be more kid-friendly because with Deadpool nowadays, he's known to be a character that just doesn't hold back. Like, he needs that adult-oriented freedom to make all the crazy references that he wants. Like, uh, a great example in the Donald Glover script that he posted on Twitter... Like, he would go and make a lot of major references. Um, Like, it's not just with Bitcoin or Johnny Depp and all that kind of stuff. He would also, uh, like, you would find another jab at Donald Trump in this. Uh, There was also, like, some kind of uh, accusation that somebody actually bit Beyonce's face at some point. I don't know what happened there. Uh, There's also the controversy regarding Facebook and how everybody hates it ever since the whole Cambridge academia scandal or I think is it Cambridge academia or something in the you guys probably know what I'm talking about um if I said it wrong you'll probably correct me anyways but that's kind of the big thing is that it's hard to really imagine Deadpool being executed in a way that would be a little less than PG-13 like, that's probably the minimum that Deadpool would have to go, is just be PG-13. Otherwise, then you would have to make something that's just geared towards kids, and that's probably going to be weird to see. You're pretty much going to be going back to how it was back in the 80s, where you're, you have to make animated shows for kids based on movies that were rated R. And yeah, there, there were a lot of those back then. Like, I remember I saw an episode of a Robocop animated series... That was geared towards kids. Yeah, it, it was a very strange time, let's say. But overall, yeah, it really is disappointing, and maybe we won't truly know the answer as to why Donald Glover's Deadpool animated series never came to be. We got some ideas, but yeah, I guess we won't really have it, sadly. And as for the idea that maybe there could be a chance we'll be seeing it in another platform, like maybe they'll just go and put it on another channel or maybe even in Disney's, uh, the the streaming service. Honestly, that's hard to tell. Um, it, it's hard to really imagine at this point because people are really fixated to this Deadpool. And if you're not, like the one of the big reasons why, this Deadpool animated series is hyped up is because of the attachment with Donald Glover and Stefan Glover. And without that, well then you just have your typical Deadpool animated series. There's nothing really special that would make it stand out. So I don't know, maybe like they would try, but I highly doubt that it would get as much hype as we got right over here. Now the possibility of seeing a Deadpool animated series in the future. Yeah. There, you know, we could be seeing that at some point, but certainly not this Deadpool. So, yeah, that's kind of the big story that we have. Sadly, we're not getting the Deadpool animated series, and it is rather sad, per se. Okay, so moving on to our next story, we're going to be talking about Steven Spielberg. And right now, he really is a big name, and really going mainstream once again, considering that this week it was the big release of his next big movie, Ready Player One, in which many people are saying that, surprisingly, it's actually quite enjoyable. Maybe not a fantastic film, and maybe it's not going to be up there among Spielberg's best, but it definitely is an enjoyable film to watch. And... In the past, Steven Spielberg, of course, has done many great, enjoyable films. And, of course, a lot of people would point out some of the works that he has done throughout the 70s and the 80s. But even recently, there there have been a lot of great ones as well. But the last time that we have really seen Steven Spielberg make a great film that's more action-oriented and that's a lot of fun to watch would actually be back in 2011 when he released the animated feature, The Adventures of Tintin, which in my opinion has to be one of the most underrated animated features out there. I absolutely love the film. It is extremely well made and it's probably one of the best arguments out there of how motion capture can actually be used as an animation medium. I know that motion capture can really get a lot of crap, especially with the Image Movers' digital movies like Polar Express and Mars Needs Moms, but this is one of those examples of when the technology would be used right for an animated feature, and it was done beautifully. And not only that, but also extremely well-written and really does stay true to the spirit of the RG comics. However... There is one thing that people have been excited for a long time and we've never gotten a chance to really get it which is a sequel to The Adventures of Tintin because at the end of the film without really saying much it does end off on a massive cliffhanger and many fans of the movie have been anticipated for the continuing adventures of seeing Tintin And Captain Haddock going off trying to find like big treasures and stuff like that. But sadly, it just never really happened. So in this case right over here, we would expect that maybe it ended off like the Deadpool animated series. Like the Tintin series just got canceled. And the people who are working on it like Steven Spielberg, well, they never really bothered to go and actually do it. But then... When Steven Spielberg was talking with Premiere, apparently he actually gave us a recent update on what's going on with the Tintin sequel. And apparently, it is still in the back of his mind. Steven Spielberg actually stated, uh, reading my quote here from uh, Slash Film, it stated that Peter Jackson has to do the second part. Normally, if all goes well, he will soon start working on the script. As it takes two years of animation work on the film for you, I would not expect it to see it for about three years. But Peter will stick to it. Tintin is not dead. And that's actually another big thing about Tintin, is that it actually is the collaboration between two of the biggest giants in Hollywood, Steven Spielberg and peter jackson now in the first film steven spielberg was the director and peter jackson was the executive producer but for the sequel they're switching roles where steven spielberg is now the executive producer and peter jackson is going to be the director but since then we saw peter jackson doing a lot of different projects like he was more focused on doing the hobbit movies And he was working on some other projects as well. So we don't know what's going on with him. And as for Steven Spielberg, he was doing his own movies as well. Like, some of them are more serious and more Oscar bait. And, of course, there's a lot of others that are big-name movies. Like, they're pretty much uh, big-budget films that he would be an executive producer or that he would actually be a director. Like, um, Bridge of Spies or The Post or... Just recently with Ready Player One. But it seems that what Steven Spielberg is saying here is that both these people, Spielberg and Jackson, they're still highly dedicated to go and create a Tintin 2. And honestly, this news makes me excited Um, along with probably the next two, this is the one that this week got me the most excited to see right over here. Now, of course, Steven Spielberg did also mention that if, like, worst case, or best case scenario, I mean, that we're not going to see a Tintin 2 until, like, three years later, or maybe even four years later. But still, what makes me excited is the fact that That there is still going to be a Tintin 2. That we are still going to get another Adventures of Tintin movie. And honestly, I really am that... Like, oh my god. It it, it just makes me really excited the fact that at least we're going to happen. I'll be patient for them to actually go and make it. But getting more of that is definitely great. Now, some people have stated before that... The possibility as to why we didn't really get a Tintin 2 as soon as possible is because in America, it, it really didn't do all that much. Like, people didn't really care. But then again, considering that we are talking about Tintin, it really is a series in which that it it is quite popular all around the world, except in America. It really is uh, the case with most other Belgian comic books with the exception of the Smurfs, of course. Like, it's the same thing with Asterix. Everybody knows about Asterix except for the Americans for some reason. But, like, here in Montreal, for example, like, everybody here knows about who Asterix is or who Tintin is. So, the fact that we are gonna get a sequel, it really is exciting and honestly... I don't care how long it'll take, they could go and take all the time that they want, but as long as we actually are going to get it in general, that's a great sign right over there, and with them still involved with it, yeah, we are still going to get another great adventure that's going to be very well done. So, at the most, I can imagine that if Peter Jackson suddenly decides like right now, as you're listening to this, to go and start working on Tintin 2, yes, there is a possibility that we're not going to get it until like 2021 or 2022. Like when the first movie is going to be 10 years old, but still, if we're getting more of these, then I'm all forward. Uh, Like, you know, I'll completely support, I'll, I'll completely support it. I'll just put it on my list as some of my most anticipated animated films that will be out coming soon. Speaking of anticipated animated features, let us discuss about The Incredibles 2, which is not only the most anticipated animated feature of the year, but the most anticipated superhero film after Avengers Infinity War. I know technically some people might ask, well, what about Deadpool 2? Yes, a lot of people are excited for Deadpool 2, but I can guarantee you they're not as excited for Deadpool 2 as much as they are for The Incredibles 2. However, what we will be discussing here is not going to be specifically about The Incredibles 2, but the thing that will be appearing before The Incredibles 2. Yes, apparently at the Tribeca Film Festival, they have revealed what is going to be the animated short that will be premiering just before The Incredibles 2, which in this case is going to be called Bow. And the story of it will go, uh, by the way, I'm going to be reading my source here through the Pixar post as it states, an empty nesting Chinese mom gets another chance at motherhood when one of her dumplings springs to life. But she must come in terms with the bittersweet revelation that nothing stays cute and small forever. And it also added that the story will be set in the ups and downs of the parent-child relationship through the colorful, rich, and tasty lens of the Chinese immigrant community in Canada. Now, what's actually very interesting to note about this uh, animated short, Bao, is that this is actually gonna be breaking a few records. Not only will this be the longest Pixar animated short clocking in at eight minutes. Yeah, don't worry. When I say the longest, it's not going to be like Olaf's uh, Olaf's Frozen Adventure or anything like that. But also, when it comes to Bao, this is also going to be the first time that a Pixar animated short that's going to... Uh, uh, yeah, the first time that it's going to be directed by a woman, which in this case is Domi Shi, And what's very interesting to note about Domi Shi is that with this animated short right over here, part of it is going to be a little bit autobiographical, considering that she was actually born in China, but when she was two years old, she had to move to Toronto with her parents. So in a way, we do see a little bit of her Onto Bao considering that it will go into the perspective of a Chinese immigrant in Canada And what's actually very interesting right over here is that you could tell that there are Simultaneously a lot of differences but similarities to the Incredibles 2 because when I first read about this And when I first looked into what the story would be to be about you could tell that this one is going to be a lot more emotional Like, this is going to be the kind of story that there's a good chance people might have to bring their tissues to the movies just in case this thing gets a little too sad or something like that. Like, you could tell that this is going to be between the relationship between the mother and probably the dumpling, per se. I don't know if it's a metaphorical dumpling or a literal dumpling. You never know with animation. But uh, the, the funny thing is that the big similarity between this and The Incredibles 2 is that you could tell that this is going to have a big theme of family that the relationship between the mom and the dumpling is going to be more of a like kind of a mother-son or mother-daughter kind of thing and the Chinese mother will be watching the dumpling grow up and in The Incredibles 2 While that might not be the specific theme, it will still have the element of family because in the first Incredibles, like not only is it a superhero film, but it's also a movie about family. And the same thing is going to happen in The Incredibles 2, but this time we're going to see fatherhood. That's going to be a big thing considering that the roles are going to be switched where now Helen is going to be the one that's going into the grand adventures while Bob, on the other hand, is going to be the stay-at-home dad. And this right over here is going to be more in the perspective of the mother. So I guess you're going to get your complete fill of the importance of family, like not only with The Incredibles 2, but also with Bao. Now, this is going to be quite interesting to see how this is going to be executed And maybe, like, with the theme of family, it will work out as a way to prepare ourselves with what's going to be in The Incredibles 2. At least, if, in case there are many people out there that are not big fans with uh, less superhero and more family, uh, then at least with this, it will prepare them for the family elements that will come with The Incredibles 2. And by the way, uh, one thing I forgot to mention is actually regarding... Uh, Some of the backgrounds of Domi Shi. Like I already mentioned of how she was uh, a Chinese immigrant in Canada. Well, at at least during her early years, of course. But in terms of what she has done in Pixar, she actually began uh, pretty recently where she was hired as an intern to be a story artist in Inside Out. Oh, no, no, no. Actually, she started as an intern and then was a story artist in Inside Out. And then from there she would work on some big Pixar films and some of them have yet to be released including The Good Dinosaur, of course The Incredibles 2, and Toy Story 4. So she has done uh, some jobs working onto those. But it wasn't until when she would pitch several ideas to Pixar of what to do for an animated short, and they decided, hey, you know what, Bao actually does look great. So they greenlit that one, and now she's going to be the writer and director of it. But right now, from what I'm seeing, is that that's the big thing that a lot of people are praising and what they're really excited the most about Bao. It's not necessarily the story itself, but the fact that we are going to get a female director at Pixar. I mean, the closest thing they've ever gotten to it was Brave with uh, Brenda Chapman, but then you got that entire controversy right over there. So at least this is a good big step. Uh, Yeah, a good big step for progressiveness at Pixar, the fact that they are going to get a female director in there, and who knows? Maybe they will be open to have uh, a female director to work on a Pixar movie and let her stay there. So... You know, this is honestly pretty exciting, and I think this is really going to be an animated short that people should keep an eye out for to see if this is going to be something that's going to be big within itself, not just uh, in terms of The Incredibles 2, but also Bao could be getting its own major fan base as well. So that's pretty much the big thing with that. And if you guys are excited to go and check out Bao, well, it's going to actually make its premiere on its own at the Tribeca Film Festival, in which it will start out on April 21st. But if you cannot attend to that film festival, then all you have to do is just wait until The Incredibles 2 gets released, when that movie will be coming out on June 13th. Okay, so moving on to our next story right over here, let us discuss about DVDs and Blu-rays, and particularly with Disney. Now, of course, Disney has given us some amazing Blu-rays and DVDs with many of their feature films, especially with their animated films from Disney Animation and also from Pixar. But when it comes to their animated series or when it comes to their TV shows in general, man, they... Well, there's nothing really much to say about it because there's nothing that they've done with it. It's like throughout the 2000s, they were on a roll, but then once we hit the 2010s, they didn't do much. Like maybe with the exception of some ABC series like Lost and uh, Once Upon a Time and stuff like that. But other than that, they just didn't care about releasing DVDs and Blu-rays based on their animated series. However, even though Disney is not going to do it, well, then maybe Shout Factory will with one of their most acclaimed animated series that they have ever done. Now, on social media, Alex Hirsch has made the announcement that he has collaborated with Shout Factory in order to release Gravity Falls on Blu-ray and DVD. Now, if I may read through my source here, On the animation magazine, it stated that Gravity Falls, the complete series, will be offered in both standard retail edition with six discs and the collector's edition. A seven disc box set including an entire disc of bonus features with brand new content created especially for this box set. Bonus features will be announced in the coming months. And uh, apparently, if you can go and pre-order it at Shout Factory, you would actually get a free rolled lithograph while supplies last, of course. So that's all the information that we know so far is that we are going to get a complete series of Gravity Falls coming to DVD and Blu-ray. And you can either get it in the regular version or you can actually go and get the collector's edition. Now I don't know if this collection, uh, I don't know if this collector's edition is only exclusive to the Shout Factory website, or if uh, you can also get it in stores as well. But it is actually interesting to note, and yeah, even Alex Hirsch himself said that this whole thing is pretty much a miracle in general because, like I said, Disney just doesn't care about Blu-rays and DVDs when it comes to making, uh, may uh, like pretty much making them. For their animated TV shows. Which honestly it's kind of a weird thing to be honest. Because there are tons of profitable opportunities. When it comes to DVDs and Blu-rays. Like yeah I know that technically you could say. Well there's the whole streaming service thing. And the whole digital aspect that people can go and get. Which does turn them off from actually doing these things. But Disney, honestly, is seriously doubting the potential that they could have with this. Because, honestly, looking back at many of the TV shows that they have, like uh, DuckTales, Gummy Bears, Darkwing Duck, uh, uh, Rescue Rangers, uh, what else, Tailspin, considering that nowadays, you could tell that Disney is really trying to uh, profit off of the nostalgia of that nowadays. I don't see why... They, they didn't decide yet to go and release a DVD and Blu-ray to put it in retail stores. Like, they, they could actually make a good buck with that. I mean, technically, yeah, sure, you could argue that maybe they have done so, but that's just, like, years ago, and especially the fact that we haven't seen a Blu-ray release of any of those uh, animated series. But at the very least, that... I, I, I'm glad that we are seeing someone like Alex Hirsch taking the initiative to at least do something that they could actually put it onto DVD and Blu-ray to actually go to Shout Factory and actually have this happen. And you never know like what this could do. I think this is really gonna be something that Disney should seriously keep an eye out for, and it could possibly be an experiment where Disney could test out to see if there is some uh, profitability and if there actually is a market to make DVDs and Blu-rays for their animated series. And for some of their recent animated series, it doesn't have to be the old ones, but also when it comes to their new ones, maybe this could encourage them to go and do more of that, that they could actually go and release some DVDs and Blu-rays of many of their other series. And honestly, uh, one example that I want to bring out to show that Disney really doesn't care about releasing uh, DVDs and Blu-rays about their TV shows. And this uh, this is an example that I would frequently bring up, to be honest, uh, a lot of times even. It would actually be regarding The Muppet Show because the thing is with that is that They would already release, uh, season one, and then they, they were on a good roll with season two and season three, and they have done announcements before that they would actually go and release season four, where previously you got Kermit, Miss Piggy, Fozzie, in the uh, background in the covers uh gonzo would be the one in season four but sadly that somehow never happened and to this day we have yet to actually receive either a season four or a season five of the muppet show either on dvd or blu-ray and the weirdest thing about it is that whenever disney would actually make uh a youtube video related to the muppets not necessarily on the muppet uh youtube channel but like On something like oh my Disney the weirdest thing is that they would actually still advertise to this day that you can actually go and buy season one two and three on DVD which is honestly really weird that you could tell that these things like Disney knows that they exist but they're not doing anything about it to add anything new so I think this really is the big thing with Gravity Falls is that Disney could keep an eye on it to see if maybe it can bring back their interest into bringing their TV shows onto DVD and Blu-ray and go ahead to go and make more of that. So maybe this is the major stepping stone into it and maybe to go and create some different versions of it they don't have to stick with just one because keep in mind with gravity falls there are two versions that you actually can go and buy and i don't mean just dvd and blu-ray but you can get a regular edition and then you can get the collector's edition which i think this is going to be something that gravity falls fans are really keeping an eye on and they really want to go and get and for someone like me who recently saw gravity falls and i gotta say it definitely is one of the best animated series of the decade. I personally am really excited, and I have my eyes set on the Blu-ray, uh, on the Collector's Edition Blu-ray. Now, I'm not going to pre-order it just yet because there could be a chance that maybe Filmbook might send me one to do a review for it, which, honestly, that would be really awesome. Filmbook, if you're listening to this, I want Gravity Falls Collector's Edition on Blu-ray! <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, I- honestly... Like, I really am excited to see what this has in store. And on top of that, what the uh, bonus content would have in store. Because I'm sure there are tons of things that they could do. And I know there's a lot of bonus content that they have already done for Gravity Falls. In the form of, like, TV specials and all that kind of stuff. And even, like, some different shorts. Like, you saw, like, uh, I know that they have done a few... For like uh, Dipper's Mystery Adventures. Or like some pro tips from Mabel. Like those those are not the titles. But like that's kind of the theme of those things. But yeah honestly I'm really excited to see uh, what these ha- have in store. And I can't wait to know what the the bonus features are. And I cannot wait to get my hands on the complete series. Now you can actually go and like I said before you could pre-order it through shoutfactory.com right now where the DVD is uh $50 and the blu-ray is $80 and on top of that if you pre-order right now then you can actually get a free roll lithograph but if you guys are curious to know when these are going to be coming out in stores then all you have to do is just wait until July 24- yeah July 24th for the release of Gravity Falls on DVD and blu-ray And so finally, we are now going to go and end things off with Animat's pick of the week. And before I continue on to this story, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a warning because this is going to contain some seriously dark subject matter. Like maybe more darker than any other story that I have covered here in the animation podcast. What I'm about to talk about here will contain some subjects that includes sexual harassment a lot of abuse, and also some sexual contact, both uh, consensual and non-consensual, with minors. So, if you're the kind that cannot stand hearing these things, then I suggest you run away right now. This is definitely not for you, and like I said before, this thing is gonna get heavy. However, if you are brave enough to continue listening on to this, then um, get ready because things are about to get really wild and not in a good way. And who I'm going to be talking about is going to be another sexual predator within the animation industry. However, this one is a lot more infamous about it. This is not the first time that this story has been covered before, but this is the first time that this story has been covered This way going deep into these details. And honestly in terms of many of the other sexual predator stories that I've heard. I don't know if there's anything that can really top this one. Because this is at the level where this is seriously messed up. And honestly this is the kind of stories that really you're going to look at what I'm about to say. Or you're going to hear what I'm about to say and this is going to make John Lasseter's hugs look comfortable. And the best way to describe it is thinking about the accusations done to Loudhouse Creators uh, Loudhouse Creators Chris Savino and really crank that up to 11 where you can get a little bit more insane than that. And who I am talking about of course is John Chris Falucci also known As John Kay now before I get into the actual story for those of you who don't know who John Kay is John Kay has been known in the animation industry to create the Ren and Stimpy show and he is also very well known for his beyond over-the-top art style which actually makes him one of the most influential animators in the modern era. And from there, not only will you find many different artists and animators who would cite John Kay as a major influence, but you will find that some of the biggest animated series nowadays are actually heavily inspired by his works and Ren and Stimpy. And these would include Adventure Time, Rick and Morty, SpongeBob SquarePants, and many, many more. However... The one thing about John K. that people may not know about is how he is behind the scenes. And my god, there's a major story. So let's go ahead and get right down to it. BuzzFeed has recently released an article telling the story of Robin Bird and Katie Rice. Whom both of which have a special relationship with John K., when they were teenagers and when John Kay was in his late 30s and early 40s and when I mean relationship it can legitimately go into that kind of relationship now I'll do my best to describe the article but um I do highly encourage that you guys should actually read this article for yourself it's a very tough read but it's a very necessary read as well So basically the whole summary of this or uh, my best summary that I can do is that uh, Robin Bird and Katie Rice, they have known John Kay personally throughout their teen years. And uh, the interesting thing to mention about each of them is that Robin Bird uh, and Katie Rice, they've always aspired to work in the animation industry and they were huge fans of Ren and Stimpy and they personally contacted John Kay about their love for Ren and Stimpy and that they love his work and stuff like that. And John Kay, he promised them to get into the animation industry. Like when they're 18, that they'll they'll put them in their first steps to go and actually work for him and to really get into the animation world. And on top of that, like while they're at it, he can help them grow as artists to really make their craft a whole lot better. But throughout that entire process, there are some things that John Kay would start to get a little bit more personal with them and really start to get into the creepy factor when John Kay would actually be a lot more sexually attracted to them. In fact, with Robin Bird, she would actually be in a relationship with John Kay starting at the age of 15. And it would actually go pretty far to the point that, yes, they would actually have sex. And, like, apparently she started having sex with John Kay when she was 16. But it's more John Kay wanting sex with Robin more so than Robin wanting sex with uh, John Kay in this case. And from there, they would tell their stories about how it is being in a relationship with uh, John Kay, like how it is... As either just friends or as an actual couple. And they would tell them about some of his more abusive. And some of his more uh, harassing nature. How he really is sexually preying on them. Even as just minor teenagers. And even at one point Robin actually did state. Or actually there was another anim- uh, another animator that once worked with John Kay. That he would go and talk to him, and John Kay would show a whole series of pictures of Robin Bird, and some of them are more explicit. I think that's the best way to put it. That uh, a lot more sexual and a lot more explicit. And like, John John Kay would show that he is very proud of that. And even with Katie, um, ever since she started, ever since she started working for John Kay, like you could tell he's a lot more abusive he would constantly sexually harass the women that's all around him especially with robin and um, katie and both of which coincidentally enough they would both completely break any sort of relationship with john Kay in the early 2000s where i believe uh, it is uh robin bird who decided to completely leave the animation industry and and would go to be a philosophy teacher. While Katie, she's still in the animation industry. She's still working in animation with the help of uh, John K. But well, what I mean is that she's not working for John K now. But because of John K, she is actually living her dream as a teenager. Working within the animation industry. So they would really go deep into their relationship, how it is working with John K, and how he is in his personal life and some of the more disturbing elements like uh how like well, mo- mostly looking into his dark sexual fantasies and even at one point I think it's uh with Katie where she was working on the Weird Al music video of uh, Close But No Cigar but then she would go onto John Kay's computer and she would actually find some child pornography, which absolutely shocked her. I think Robin also knew about his uh child pornography as well. But yeah, they tried reporting to they, they tried reporting to the police, but uh so far nothing has really happened so far. Now, interestingly enough, in this article right over here. They also mention about his perspective as well from John Kay, but not necessarily from John Kay himself. It was an attorney that spoke for John Kay, how he was very well aware that in the past he had a serious mental illness and that today he is doing his best to make himself a little bit more better. So he is trying to improve on his totally sick nature From the past. At least that's what the attorney is trying to say. But long story short, the article revealed the story about Katie Price and Robin Bird and how they legit had a relationship with John Kay, or kind of a relationship, or a legitimate relationship, or any of that kind of stuff, and really go into. His dark side, his sexual side, his harassing side. Basically, his whole dark side in general. And honestly, when I read this article, yeah, it really is heavy. But personally, my only thought when reading this was just that the only thing that I was surprised about is the fact that this, hap- that, that this thing didn't happen any time sooner. Because honestly, the thing is, John Kay is actually pretty well known for this. Even before this Budsfeed article came out. In fact, not many people were really surprised about this. Most of what the article is saying is nothing really new. Because people are very well aware about John Kay's abusive nature. And his little creepy side that he might have a thing for minor girls and the funny thing is that while there are many people out there who are huge fans of John Kay's works you're not going to find many people who are fans of working with John Kay considering that he does have a history of being very abusive to his employees and when it comes to women, well, <laughs> yeah, you got the big uh, portfolio right over here of John Kay being abusive to his employees. Now, let's take a look at the bigger folder that we have here that has uh, the entire history of him harassing women that worked for him or just in freaking general. And even in terms of the thing with uh, his turn on with minors and stuff like that, that is kind of well known as well. In fact, uh, there is actually something right over here uh, in the article that did actually mention that I believe there was a book or something like that that said something about Ren and Stimpy or I I think it's a book or it's either like a book or a video. Okay, yeah, no, 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 I found the uh, yeah, I found it right over here. Uh, it says, although sexual abuse allegations against Chris Velucci have never been made public before, his relationship with Bird has been an open secret within animation. So open that a girl he has been dating since she was 15 years old was referred briefly in a book about the history of Ren and Stimpy. So people are very well aware of that. And even when it comes to John Kay himself he doesn't really make it that much of a secret where he is actually quite turned on to girls that are under the age of 18. In fact, there was actually um, a little radio show with Howard Stern. Well okay. How- Howard Stern doesn't have a little radio show. But um, he was in an interview with Howard Stern. During the mid 90's. And they were talking about one of the characters. That he created called Pop. And the way that um, Howard Stern described her. Is like yeah you-, you know she's a hot chick. She's got big cans. She's got nice legs. You know she's a pretty hot babe. And John Kay tried to add in to her sexiness. Like, he was just leaning on the mic, just pretty much saying, and she's underage, too. And, like, then afterwards, he would just nod, like, yeah, you know, that's another thing that makes her sexy. And, you know, I'm just there thinking, what? No! Dude! Really? That's what you add to the factor of her sexiness? Because that's the crazy thing with Sodipop. Like, if you go on to Google Images and you look for the different pictures of the character that he actually drew himself there's a lot of lewd and erotic pictures that include sody pop where you actually do see her boobs like nipples and all and if your intentions are to make like a 15 or 16 year old girl with her i don't think that should be something on the internet or something you should do or Something that you should be public about. I mean, seriously, like, you know, I don't have anything against you if you're more open to what makes, you know, what makes you turned on on either a guy or a girl, you know? Like, even with me, like, I I don't mind that people know that, you know, like, I do have a little thing with girls or even um, top-heavy women, per se. (laughs) But the thing is with this is that, if you're going to be open to something that is not only considered, uh, like looked down upon in society, but especially something that is illegal, like be you know, being attracted to girls that you shouldn't think sexually about, like that they would be like 14, 15 or 16. That's honestly, it's just wrong. But going back into the subject right over here, uh, going into like what this BuzzFeed article is about, the only thing that it really is new That they added into this whole story with John Kay. Even though people are very well aware. About John Kay's abusive nature. And his thing for minor girls. What this added. Is really the details. How deep the rabbit hole can go. And um, especially the fact. That we got the perspective of two girls. That really do have a major relationship. A personal relationship with John Kay, like with Robin, Robin Bird actually being an ex of John Kay when she was dating him when she was a teenager and he was like a 40 year old man. And then you got Katie Price who wanted to go in to the animation business. And John Kay was a major help to that. But one thing that really is sad about it is that you can tell how much of a predator That John Kay really is because, throughout the most part in the article, you could see how John Kay really does take advantage over these girls, how they are at a low point in their life, or how they are easily influential. Like, I think it was with Rice, where she was pretty much down on her luck, she was moving into a new place. And she didn't get accepted to a college or an art college and stuff like that. It's either Bird or Robin. And, you know, she didn't really have that much friends. But she trusted John Kay because he was her only friend. And she he was the only person that she could trust. And the same thing can be said with uh, Robin. That, honestly, throughout the whole thing, she was mostly so fixated on trying to be in the animation business that John Kay really was the key for her to actually get in and to have like an internship at Spumco and to actually work for him. And it really spiraled to the point where she really did play, like he really did play with her emotions. And she actually stated that john Kay as a boyfriend sure he'll like her personality and he'll like her body but he doesn't give a crap about her emotions which honestly when you're in a relationship that really is a major key you know to be in a good relationship you have to care about the emotions of your partner and that is something that john Kay just absolutely doesn't care about You know, he likes that, you know, he likes that he, you know, he likes that she's a a smart, intelligent girl with a hot body, even though that is a body that you should not touch yet. But how she feels and stuff like that, he doesn't care one bit. And honestly, that, like, just reading all this, yeah, it is absolutely disgusting. That really does show how... John Kay really is a monster that does take advantage over minor girls. And we never truly know how deep this rabbit hole goes. Now, some of these, like, they're not truly confirmed as of yet. There are some things that uh, the attorney has denied, including how John Kay has owned some actual child porn. But then again, if it actually is true, then at this point, nobody would really be that surprised about it. And I know that for some people it really is conflicting to hear about this news story considering that, like I said before, John Kay is a major influence in the animation industry and some people would look up to him as one of the most inspiring people in the industry. In fact, some people could even say that he was the closest thing to Tex Avery after Tex Avery passed away. And I mean, at this point, we really cannot deny the influence that he has done in animation, where we could see the elements that were based on stuff like Ren and Stimpy uh, onto whatever piece of animation that you could find nowadays, rather it be in animated features, in TV shows, or even in internet videos, that's probably uh, one of the most influential places that you can actually go and find. Where I remember Aaron Hansen. A.K.A. Raptor Mentioned that one of his biggest inspirations. Uh, to be. Oh what was it? Yeah like one of his inspirations to be an animator. Is actually the works of John Kay. Now of course I'm not saying that Aaron is a total John Kay fan. Like he has expressed that he is not a fan whatsoever of how John Kay is as a person being abusive to his employees and, uh, you know, being sexually attracted to minor girls. But it's an example to show how people are massively influenced with the works of John Kay. And it even did mention right over here regarding the importance of separating the art from the artist and how people who have worked with John Kay, they would immediately say that, Yes, of course, like, if they ever get an award, then one of the first people that they will thank is actually John Kay, because they, like, his works and working with him really did help them throughout their animation career. But him as a person is is someone that you must avoid at all cost. So that really is the big thing. If you guys are major fans of Ren and Stimpy or... If John K. inspired you to get into animation, then that's perfectly okay. That shouldn't stop you from either enjoying Ren and Stimpy or from citing John K. as an inspiration. Because really, what you are in love with in that direction would be his works, his TV shows, his art style. And that is perfectly okay because the influence that he has done there, it is legendary. But what he has done to people individually, that's when it's wrong. That is when it should be looked down upon. So again, like the case like with John Lasseter or Chris Savino, like if you are major fans of like Toy Story or The Loud House, that is perfectly okay. But it is highly important to separate the art from the artist because at that point, Like, I can understand that you would have some massive conflicts and people would not know what to do with themselves if either they should no longer watch Ren and Stimpy or stuff like that. And honestly, like, I do understand the pain and the confusion going on right over there. But yeah, um, that's basically my easy answer with this one is try to really learn to separate the art from the artist that you can support the art style of John Kay but not john k himself and yeah honestly this has been something that was a long time coming and really i just want to congratulate uh, robin bird and katie price for being so brave to actually come out and actually describe their story and I know this was something that really wasn't easy because even in the article right over here, they would even mention how for a long time they have been scared to actually stand up and tell their story considering that they're just afraid of the backlash from the fans of John Kay. They don't know how they would react. But considering that we are in the age of the hashtag MeToo movement, it definitely was something that did inspire them And go speak out regarding their story, which honestly should have been brought out a long time ago. But the important thing is that I really am glad that Robin Bird and Katie Price did actually bring out their story to tell the truth regarding their relationship with John Kay and how John Kay truly is as a person. So... What are going to be the consequences to John Kay in that department? We'll just have to wait and see with what the future holds. But yeah, honestly, overall, this was something that was a long time coming. And that is pretty much all that I've got for this week. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of The Animation Podcast. You can go ahead and find more of my work at film-book.com. Just search for Monsieur Brunet or The Animation Podcast. You can also go ahead and find me on Twitter at Anima 505. Now, if you have listened to this podcast on iTunes or any other podcast service, do us a favor right now and go rate and review this episode. You are going to be awesome for doing so. And if you have listened to this podcast on YouTube, hit that like button in our video and leave us a comment on your thoughts about the news this week. Tune in next week for the latest episode of the Animation Podcast and all things animation. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next week, see you later, dudes.